Hey, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Can you guys hear me okay? No. Is this thing on? Hello to those that are with us on Zoom. We love you as, as best we can from far distance. I want to uh, just start off by um, saying that I love being a part of this class, and um, it's it's been a pleasure. And uh, it, Allie and I, um, you know, I think we've been a part of this this group now, whole heart for I don't know, five six months, and um, I've seen so many godly examples. Uh, we've received so much. Um, Love and encouragement uh, from so many in this class, and uh, and we see God at work, and so uh, just praise God for that. We're going to be in First Chronicles, chapter ten through twelve. Okay, we're going to be kind of doing this high level overview. We're not going to hit all the verses, so don't don't worry. We've only got about thirty minutes, <laughs> so we'll just we'll just see how far we can get in it all. I'm going to start off with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive into the text. Father, I thank you so much uh, for this morning. I thank you for uh, your covering over us. I, th- I think about what Sam was teaching in the first service, and, and Lord, there is a, a spiritual attack. Um, there is warfare happening all around us, and um, that's not just for the Old Testament, um, that is for uh, the, right now in this present time. And, and Father, we want to be uh, sober-minded. We want to be uh, ready and able to serve you. And, and God, without your help, we, we cannot uh, pull people into your kingdom uh, unless you move. And so I pray, God, that uh, this, this two and a half weeks, three weeks of prayer and fasting would be a time where uh, we set our, 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 our hearts and minds and affection toward you, um, that we're not just walking away from things that just get uh, filled up with other things. You know, we're not just uh, turning off TV, but then filling it up with social media or, or vice versa, or, or not eating food, um, but then, you know, we're not really spending time seeking you. Father, would you fill our hearts, our minds, uh, with your glory, with your word, with your worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to be hitting on uh, 1 Chronicles 10 through 12. And I came across uh, a couple of verses in 1 Chronicles 12. This was months ago, and I was just drawn to it. And I don't know if anybody else is like this, but since being a part of Whole Heart, anytime I see like the heart talked about in the Bible, it just like it stands out maybe just a little bit more. Like I don't know if anybody's ever like bought a car and you've never really noticed it, but then it's like all of a sudden it's like oh, there all kinds of people have this car. You're seeing it everywhere. But when when I'm in Scripture now, whenever it talks about the heart, I'm just like I seem to be a little bit more keenly aware of it. And I think it's partly just being a part of this class, like Whole Heart, like this. This idea that we're giving God everything. And these chapters are kind of interesting, okay? Uh, for me, they're interesting because uh, I am—I uh, grew up in a Mennonite home. 
for anybody that doesn't know uh, about Mennonites, one of the one of the big things that kind of distinguishes them in the Christian uh, network of uh, of different sects, or is is that they are pacifists. Okay, they're they're not they're not keen on war. Um, really, kind of lean into the like turn turn the other cheek, um, and uh, so. I, I grew up, my, my grandparents were Mennonite pastors. My dad uh, is a, a Mennonite pastor. And these passages are all about warfare, all right? So uh, this is about military conquest, and this is about uh, David and, um, and God using mighty men and an army to uh, take over a kingdom, battle Philistines. And... Uh, <clears throat> So I, I just give you a little bit about my background so you guys kind of know the context of that, like, this isn't my cup of tea in the sense of even even though now, like, I, I wouldn't identify as a Mennonite, um, like, you're not the guy that I want to be, like, fighting in, like, fighting in a war. Like, I'm just kind of soft. Like, I'm a soft guy. Um, <laughs> You, you probably want somebody like Brandon Wilbur, like teaching this passage. And, and I do just want to call it like we have a number of people in this class that have like served our country. Um, can I, I mean, can I, and are actively serving, right? Like, can you raise your hand if, if you've served our country in like one of the, yeah, armed services? Thank you so much. Yes. I mean, that's, and, um, and you know, our freedom doesn't come without a price, right? Um, the, the thing that stands out about this passage, okay, is that um, it's, it's a physical battle. And, and we do have to lay the groundwork that um, now that we're New Testament Christians, we're not fighting a physical battle, right? So we're not going to be storming Jerusalem. We're not going to be storming to take a physical land. Uh, we're not going to be storming the capital for Jesus Christ. Um, our nature of our war is spiritual, Okay, and so we're going to be looking at um, some really like manly army, like some military things. And I just want to make sure that we're seeing them in the right light of how they apply to us from a spiritual standpoint. Okay, so um, my grandparents, I heard this story about my grandparents. This was during, I believe, World War Two, that they drove across the country going like 35 miles per hour. Okay, to to preserve the rubber on their tires because the country needed rubber for for the war. Okay, and what stands out to me about that story is just that you have to operate differently when it's wartime. Okay, like you have to operate differently. Um, the 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 laws might change. Um, for a season, even if you're not actively like across seas fighting, it's like there's things that you can be doing to be helping the mission. All right, and it's it's no different. If there was a drought in California, you might not be able to take as many showers as you did a couple years ago, right? Because different times call for different measures. All right, and what we have to recognize is that we are in a spiritual war. Okay, and I think the thing that we have to remind ourselves, as, especially for those that are in the church, is even things like hearing people are going to hell. I think that for myself, at least, 
that just becomes kind of a normal phrase and you start to lose, I guess, the gravity of that reality. And, and, I, and I'm going to be just confessing to you guys a lot of my own weaknesses. And my, and my prayer is that um, I'm guessing some of you are probably like me in some of these things. And we need God to level us up <laughs> in the Holy Ghost, right? This isn't something we can just pull up ourselves in our bootstraps. We need the Lord to do a good work in this ministry. So what we're going to look at is uh, components of a victorious army. Okay, and, and there's three that stood out to me in First Chronicles 10 through 12. Okay, so if you're taking notes, the, the, the three big categories are going to be these. Um, godly leaders. Okay, godly leaders. The second one is going to be established locations. And the third one is living sacrifices. Okay. So godly leaders, established locations, and living sacrifices. I tried to get three L's in there. They're kind of there. Kind of there. The living sacrifices was a little bit, you know, uh, but you'll see why. Okay, so, so the first key point is that, you know, we're not, going, we're not trying to actively uh, build a, a physical kingdom, right? We're not... We are not at this time, uh, again, like I said, trying to storm Jerusalem. What, what we're after is uh, establishing the kingdom of God in the hearts and souls of men and women. All right? And for the church to establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of men and women, there must be godly leadership. There must be godly leadership. And there's often a vacuum and void of that. Okay? Um, I'm so thankful for the pastors and the leaders here at Midtown Baptist Temple. And I, I think they give us a good example. In, in Scripture, you have, probably in the Old Testament, as many good examples as bad examples. And so if you can turn to 1 Chronicles 10, verses 13 through 14, we're going to get a dose of a bad leader, Saul, King Saul. Okay, Now, now King Saul had been, uh, had been anointed to become king. Um, the, the people wanted, uh, they were looking around them and they were like, how come we don't have a king? All the other cities, all the other nations have a king. We should get a king. And this wasn't God's original plan, but uh, he heeded to uh, their heart's desire and gave them a king. And we won't be able to break everything down about Saul and contrasting that with David. But just recognize that you know, Saul represents our flesh. He was good looking. He was tall. Uh, he, he, he seemed to have all the components in place to be the leader that Israel needed. And yet this is what it says in 1 Chronicles 10, 13 through 14. Um, Saul had just uh, lost to the Philistines and he got killed and his son got killed and it was a disaster. It says this. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. And he inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him. So the Lord slew him and turned the kingdom into David, unto David, the son of Jesse. Okay, and there's a lot more that we could go into on a character study on Saul. But there's just a couple of things that stand out to me just in these two verses of 
um, in terms of if we're going to be an effective army for the Lord, these are things we don't want to see in leadership, okay? So, so the first one is just disobedience to the Lord, okay? So, so the, the Lord had given King Saul a, a really specific commandment to go and attack the Amorites and basically destroy everybody living. And he did not follow through on that, okay? But um, beyond that, uh, there was also a time when things were looking really bad. There was, a, there was a war that was kind of bubbling up. And he was waiting for Samuel. Samuel had said that he would come. And he gave him a time frame on it. And it was the 11th hour. And he didn't see Samuel show up and he panicked. And so he ended up doing this priestly activity that only the priests were commanded to do by the Lord. And it was like right after he did it, Samuel shows up. And it was like if he would have just waited that last little moment, okay? That, yeah, patience, exactly. He, he lacked that. And it's easy to be, you know, super hard on Saul and be like, well, I wouldn't have done that. But think about the areas in your life where it's like you're waiting for God to come through or maybe... You know, there's some circumstance that's like, it's just stressful. And it's like, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to go and make something happen. And, and this was a very religious activity that he did. It seemed to be, it was, it, it seemed well-intentioned. And I think we often have well, like good intentions when we do things, but he clearly disobeyed the boundaries that God had set for him and what the priests were supposed to do. So anyways, in this, um, he lost the kingdom, okay? He was impatient. He lacked trust of God. He also, uh, he, he found a woman. Well, first he did a good thing. He got, he got rid of people that were doing divination and had familiar spirits, fortune telling. But then, again, in a, in a moment of despair, he went and found a familiar spirit to inquire uh, what he should do. And I think this really represents uh, us approaching our problems through worldly means. Okay. Now this one was kind of a satanic, demonic approach. Um, you know, fortune telling, uh, trying to tap into the spiritual realm, get like spiritual insight. You know, and I'm guessing that nobody here is probably doing something like that. But I think it, it can also represent us looking at the means of the world. You know, how, 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 are, uh, how are large organizations getting things done around here? Like, how, how do they become successful? How do they grow? You know, what are their marketing tactics and things like that? And this, again, is just a representative of Saul. And he also lacks just inquiring of God what he should do. And there is power in just being still for a moment. And, and, and bowing before the Lord and saying, Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? What would you have me do? And waiting for an answer. And if God doesn't give an answer, you know what we should do? Wait. Yeah, we probably shouldn't do anything, <laughs> right? Um, or we should check our hearts. You know, there might be something that's making us tone deaf to the Lord. Now, these are examples with, with Saul of, of things that we don't want to see in our leadership and, quite frankly, in our own lives. 
But then, as we move into First Chronicles chapter 11, we're going to see a, a, a contrasting. And this is with who God anoints to take over the kingdom. And ultimately, this is how he establishes uh, Jerusalem and, uh, and a physical kingdom on earth. And this is where uh, the, the lineage of our Messiah comes from. Okay. And this is what it says. First Chronicles 11 verses 1 through 3. Then all Israel gathered themselves to David unto Hebron, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. And moreover, in time past, even when Saul was king, that was he that led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord thy God said unto thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be ruler over my people Israel. Therefore came all the elders of Israel to the king to Hebron, and David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David, David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. Okay, so there's a lot of good things happening in here. The first one is that God's sending a mass email and everybody's seeing it, all, all of the elders of Israel, that clearly God has anointed this person. But it's not just coming from, you know, impressions and feelings, but God is actually speaking through the prophet Samuel, right? And so David's leadership is being confirmed from many different angles. And that's something that um, I just appreciate about our community here is that we're not quick to just promote somebody into a leadership, per, per, uh, like a, a leadership per, um, position. Um, but at the same time, we want to build up men and women to become leaders, to, to be able to lead ministries. But before, if you look at verse 2, this really stood out to me was, And moreover, in time past, David, even when Saul was king, that was he that led us out and brought us in Israel. And I, one attribute that I just love about David as a leader is that he performed fa the faithful function unto the Lord even when he didn't have a title. Okay, when his brothers were being scouted of maybe they were the next king. Uh, Samuel was, you know, the Lord told Samuel to go talk to um, Jesse and the household and he's like scoping them out. Where's David? David's like not even around because he's faithfully serving, taking care of the flock. And he was faithful in that thing that was probably mundane and, 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 and quite frankly, not, not the, probably the, like the, the best job that maybe hit for his family, but he's doing it faithfully. Right. And, and you see that with Moses Moses is in a wilderness. He's learning how to shepherd people. And this is something that God uses. These mundane times in our life where, you know, we might not be doing something that, you know, we see on the horizon, man, I want to be over there. But it's like, no, we got to be faithful with whatever God puts in front of us, you know, at our jobs, with our families, being single, Whatever God has in front of us, you know, we're doing that. And David is faithful with this. And then it calls out that he's faithful in the word. David is a man of worship. Okay. Um, 
there is. Uh, so you think about this. So so San, uh, so Saul, he he was approaching God in a way that he shouldn't. Just basically, uh, you know, Jesus told the woman at the well, um, true worship. Like the Father is seeking true worshipers that will worship in His Spirit and truth, and that's where Saul was was off. He didn't understand how God wanted the priest to approach him and how he wasn't supposed to approach God. David was described as a man after God's heart. And what we see here is that um, David is extravagant in his worship. If, if you were to um, just go down a little bit into... Um, <clears throat> 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 through 17. I'm sorry, I said 2 Samuel. 1 Chronicles 11. 1 Chronicles 11. So same chapter that we're in. And then verses... We'll start in verse 15. It says this. Now... Three of the thirty captains went down to the rock, to David, into the cave of Adullam. And the host of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephraim. And David was then in the hold, and the Philistines' garrison was then at Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is at the gate. And the three, these three captains, Break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink of it, but poured it out to the Lord and said, My God, forbid it me that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy? For with the jeopardy, for with the jeopardy of their lives, they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mightiest men. This story is so strange to me. <laughs> I would be so mad if I was one of those three guys. I just like drink the water, <laughs> like, like I just risked my life, right? Uh, and and there's a whole nother teaching uh, that we can hit on about the faithfulness of these three, because these were three of the mightiest. Okay. But from the lens of David, he received a sacrifice, okay, this water, and he poured it out, okay? He poured it out before the Lord, and it's extravagant. <laughs> he didn't just pour it out or say, no, I can't drink it. How about one of you drink it? He actually took that sacrifice and gave it to the Lord. And it reminds me of Noah, Okay, Noah got on the ark and, you know, we, we always see pictures of uh, two by two, right? Two animals and stuff like that. Uh, but there was actually, for the clean animals, there was instruction. I think it was to have seven. Yeah. Am I right on that? Yeah. Okay. And once they got back on dry land, you would think with the limited resources that you have on these animals, you'd want to preserve each one, right? Put them in a habitation. What does Noah do? He builds an altar and he sacrifices some of the clean animals unto the Lord. Reminds me a lot of David receiving this, this water and pouring it out. 
I also think about Abraham, who waited for his the promised son, and he finally got his son Isaac, and the Lord asked him to go sacrifice him. And he had faith in doing this thing. And anytime I think of that story, I just I shudder as a parent. Like I can't even I can't even put myself in that situation. But the Lord was giving him a glimpse in that even even just that 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 willingness to sacrifice his his only son. The father was giving him a glimpse of what I believe the father's agony that he was going to experience with Jesus on the cross. And when David poured out the water, notice that he describes it as the blood of the men. Okay? It's like this water was turned into wine. It's like they got they gave this water from Bethlehem, Jesus's birthplace, and he's calling it the blood of these the this sacrifice, the the blood of these men that put their lives in jeopardy. And just notice that this sacrifice is worship unto the Lord. And this was the leader that David was. And I'll just say this, there will be times when our leaders are going to do things, ask of us of things that are going to feel like this. Um, Not in a lording way, but there are going to be times when a leader will say, boy, we could sure use some water over there. (laughs) And it's like, I don't know what to do with that. That doesn't make any sense to me right now. And are you actually going to drink the water? Because I don't want to go all the way over there. If you're not, all right. But, but these were the mighty men. Okay, that's how, that's how scripture describes them is the mighty men. And when David got what was on his heart, he did with it what he felt like was the right thing as unto the Lord, which was just straight up worship. Okay, and there will be times when our leaders will do things that won't make sense to us. You know, maybe they uh, board up the balcony to make more classroom space and, and, and it's no longer a gorgeous balcony. Not that I'm talking about anything, you know, personally. <laughs> <not funny>. um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's kind of a silly example, right? But it's like, you know, there will be things that, that happen that um, even just, you know, the color of the carpet, whatever, right? There's going to be things that our leaders decide to do. And we need to trust that they are seeking the Lord on our behalf and that they're making those decisions. And trust that God will be in the midst of that. And, and the, the interesting thing about that whole story is that, you know, God put Saul into David's hands. You know, it, it was in this place where they found the victory, all in God's timing. It, it, the story doesn't end with them dying of thirst. The, the story ends with them leading to victory, okay? So um, I've, I've probably sat on this a little bit too much, but... That's the type of leadership that we want, and that's the type of leadership that we have. I think the other thing to just call out is that um, in First Chronicles 11 and 12, just the, the, whole, the whole chapters, 
it describes like all these different like levels of leadership in different groups. You know, here's just a couple. It, it calls them chief of captains. They were captains themselves. All right. First uh, Chronicles 12 verse 14 says this. These were the sons of Gad, captains of the hosts. One of the least was over a hundred and the greatest over a thousand. Okay. So you had leaders of a hundred. That was like the, that was, <laughs> that was the least. And then, and then the greatest was over a thousand. Okay. These were incredible leaders. These were incredible captains. Uh, there was the guard. There, there was a number of bands that were ready armed for war. Okay. And, and, and part of godly leadership, um, I would argue, you know, not just based on this old Testament passage, but also what we see in the new Testament is, is that there's tiered leadership and delegation and that God uses that. Who is the head, who is the head of this church? Yeah, it's Jesus. Right? I was hoping somebody would say Pastor Sam. It's like, shoot down. No, Jesus is the head of the church, right? But then there are pastors, right? And there's elders and there's deacons. And when I think about this church and, and how we operate, there's Bible study leaders and there's ministry leaders and there's disciplers and there's disciples and uh, there's fellowships, right? There's all these different tiered leaderships. And God uses um, this to allow for to be a training ground for others to rise up. And here is, um, you know, just a question, just throw out. Um, you know, even if you're not leading a ministry right now, okay, the reality is you are a leader of at least one person. And, and that's yourself, okay? Um, when David, uh, in the Psalms, you see him saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. Yes. Who's he talking to? Himself. Yeah. Why did he need to say that? Why did he need to say, O my soul, bless the Lord? Was he just, I mean, was he uh, neurotic? <laughs> There are times when <laughs> we, need, we need to lead ourselves to worship the Lord. There are times when we need to lead ourselves to, like, to a place where we are worshiping God. And, and so even if you don't see yourself as a leader, I think it's important to recognize that um, just in the same way that we want our leaders to be dependent on the Lord. We want our leaders to be full of worship like David. Like, you've got a responsibility to do that too. And I guess coming from the perspective of myself uh, being a worship leader, I would say that, you know, Paul and I, um, we have a different perspective on praise um, from Sundays to Sunday. Just meaning that, um, you know, we're looking in one direction and you guys are looking in another. But I'll tell you guys, we have a lot of worship leaders in the congregation. And when I'm seeing somebody, as we're, as we're singing, when I am seeing somebody pouring out their heart for the Lord, lifting their hands, weeping, 
in praise to God. Guess what that does to me? It just like explodes worship for the Lord because I see the beauty of how he's working in that person's life. Right? And so so I don't just be thinking about, you know, this this when as we're going to battle, don't just be thinking about worship as um you know, that there's leaders. Um, don't be thinking about ministry as just like there's, you know, that's the leader's job. But like each of us have to, like David, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. And, and you got you to gotta be pushing yourself. And, and what this looks like over the next couple of, of weeks is we're going to be going into prayer and fasting. <laughs> and have you, have you asked the Lord what he wants from this time from you. You know, have you taken some time to do that? To prepare yourself for this? I just encourage you to do that. So we're, we're, we're through one third and it's 12 o'clock. Um, so we're not going to go till like 1230. Um, but, uh, Maybe I'll just try to compact every. Can you guys go for another like five, seven minutes? Yeah. I'll just try to compact it. Really? Don't we? Doesn't doesn't Mitch always end that? Yeah, but service isn't until twelve fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, Christy. Um, okay. Okay. So let's go to let's go to First Corinthians. Goodness gracious! First Chronicles. Chapter 11. They look the same. First Chronicles 11. First Chronicles 11, verses 4 through 9, says this. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the, inha- the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zariah, went first up and was chief. And David dwelt, uh, and David dwelt in the castle. Therefore, they called it the city of David. So if you ever hear Zion... And you're like, what in the world? Where, where did that come from? This is actually the, this is, these are the verses that talk about like the origins of Zion. Okay. And David dwelt in the castle. Therefore, they called it the city of David. And he built the city round about, even from Milo round about. And Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David waxed greater and greater for the Lord of hosts was with him. Okay. So. For the church to establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of men and women, um, there must also be an established capital and fortification. Fortification. The local church and ministry. Okay, These two things represent the local church and ministry. So they took, they took uh, Jerusalem. All right? it was Israel, the, the Israelites didn't always have this city. We know it's Jerusalem, all right? And it actually had a, a name before that, and it was Jebus, okay? And if you were to look up, like, the literal meaning of that word Jebus, what it means is threshing place, okay? This, this city was called threshing place. And if you were to go to Judges and look at the origins of the city, what you'll find out is that in this place... 
there's a horrific, ter- maybe like Israel at its lowest uh, story of um, basically a, a guy um, who was feeling threatened and so uh, put out um, his, like, uh, a woman of his household and she got gang raped. And then what he decided to do to like broadcast it to try to get help was he cut her up and sent her out to the 12 tribes in 12 pieces. It's like the worst story, uh, or one of the worst stories like in the Bible. And um, it's just dark, which is a lot of judges is dark. Um, and this is, this is the threshing place. This is actually where Jerusalem is, okay? And as David took over this land, okay, they renamed it Jerusalem. And, and Jerusalem means teaching of peace. And like, notice that contrast. You're, you're going from such a dark place to a teaching of peace. And this is the beauty of Jesus Christ's ministry is that it's, it's a transformation of, of darkness to light. It's a transformation of hell, hell on earth, hell in our lives, hell in our destiny to light and love and the fruits of the spirit. Okay. And obviously, like I said before, like we're not going after a physical kingdom. We're not here. You know, the church is not this building. Um, Thank God the church isn't a like mobile <laughs> schoolroom like this. Right. You know the church is the people, right? Um, but it is like important that there's an anchor, and whether it be you know 40th and Walnut or a house church or a Bible study, like there has to be an anchoring, like a place, right? And and so you think about this, like one of the goals of discipleship is to be established in the local church. Then you got to have this locality. But not only did they get Jerusalem, but then they started fortifying it with other cities round about it. And uh, like the city of Milo, which was called out in verse 8. And uh, I really think that this pictures uh, the ministry of the local church. And, you know, this this can manifest in a lot of different ways. But I think about things like the security team. I mean, just a real practical one, right? Like we've got the the security team and there's a circumspectness about the security team, right? And I think that that's a physical manifestation of how we need to be operating spiritually is that our churches, like our church, the people, we need to be circumspect about what is happening around us, right? And we have security that you know is going around the building we have security that is again looking at different perspectives like i i've actually really appreciated just that we have people at the front of the auditoriums now looking this way um and again just knowing what has happened in other churches over the years i think that this is really smart and i think that for this for from a spiritual standpoint we have to have that same sobriety and so we've got these ministries, and, and this could be a ministry of, of Kittown. This could be a Bible study. This could be a ministry of, 
the the altar team that goes up there. But you think about how those ministries fortify this local church. Um, imagine if there wasn't an altar team and five people come up and need ministering to and they all go to Sam. Right? Or um, imagine if uh, all of us just thought, you know, um, <laughs> the Dobsons are the leaders. And, and, and imagine if all of us just went to the Dobsons for counsel. Not to say that we shouldn't, but at some point it becomes too much for them right. if, if others of us don't, don't take that responsibility um, to stand by their side, to, to stand up, to, to lead Bible studies, to be a part of Bible studies where other people can find a safe place to, to get counseling that's godly, that's biblical, right? And so, again, each of us can stand up and, and find your location, find your ministry, buy your land, okay? You don't have to figure it out all at once, but at some point, it's important to, to, to kind of lay that claim, to find what your capital is. Like, what is your Jerusalem in, in this church? Or what is your fortification around um, Midtown Baptist Temple? Does that make sense? Yeah. And um, the, we'll, we'll end with the third point, which is um, living sacrifices. And if you were to continue reading 1 Chronicles 11, and then also go through um, chapter 12, David took, uh, took over the kingdom. God gave it to him. Um, but there was still a physical battle, physical battle with the Philistines. They had to take the land. And then chapter 12 is a look back, actually, um, when Saul was still alive. And it starts talking about some of the mighty men that, that stood by his side and were fighting with him through some of some really tough times. I mean, there was, there was at one point, uh, they went off to battle with David, these mighty men, and then all the women and children got taken by another nation. And they were like ready to kill David. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, encouraged his heart in the Lord, and then they went to, and he inquired of the Lord and said, should we go fight? Just a perfect example of how we handle tough situations. Should we go and fight? And the Lord said, yes, and you will get back everything that they took. And they did it. But David didn't go alone. He had these mighty men with him. So as you study out, if you ever study out um, any of these, and any of these uh, passages, you're going to just see all these like random, like it'll just talk about these group of people and then some random attribute. And... Um, but just to kind of frame it all, Romans 12, 1 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, as New Testament believers redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we are called to be a living sacrifice, and that's our reasonable service. Going to Bethlehem, for David in enemy occupied territory to get him a bottle of water reasonable service living sacrifice okay so here's some of the, here's just some attributes that stood out um, swift obedience I'm terrible at this one okay God I feel like God tells me something and then it's like okay I need to like think about it I need to talk it out 
need to figure out the right time to execute on that obedience. But it's like, if we had read about uh, them taking over Jerusalem and then David was like, whoever goes and like takes care of the Jebusites first, I'm going to make them like chief of the captains. Like Joab just goes and, and gets it done. Okay. And we need to be swift in our obedience. It's second Peter one, five talks about adding to your faith virtue and then to virtue knowledge. And too often we switch that. And we start believing, and then it's like, all right, I'm going to add a bunch of knowledge. I'm just going to keep on, you know, learning more about God and his word. And if we don't apply it, if we don't start obeying that, then we're, we're just puffing ourselves up. Knowledge puffs up. But we're called to add to uh, our faith virtue. Virtue is just doing what you know to be right. It's that simple, and we overcomplicate it. I do that too often. They were strength. These these uh, mighty men. They were strengthened in the Lord. Okay. First um, Chronicles eleven ten says this. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him and his kingdom, and with all Israel to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. All right. And we've already talked about that. We should our strengthening isn't in the flesh, but that we need to wait on the Lord. We need to walk in the spirit. These guys were determined and did not, like, fear was not, a, well, they could have been scared, but they were still, like, obedient to it. And I'm just going to skip down to First Chronicles 12, verses 17 and 18, and this is where we'll stop. First Chronicles 12, 17 through 18. And David went out to meet them and answered and said unto them, If ye become peaceably unto me to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. See, there was a when he started taking over the kingdom, there was a lot of different tribes, right? And it was kind of like, you know, are you for me? Are you against me? He's saying, if you if you become peaceably unto me to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. But if you come betray me to mine enemies, seeing there is no wrong in my hands, the God of our fathers look thereon and rebuke it. Then the spirit came upon Amasai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side. Thou son of Jesse, peace be unto thee, and peace be to, thy, to thine helpers, for thy God helpeth thee. And so, you know, part of having a, a whole heart is having a knit heart. Knit to our leaders to, to support them. And I love that there's a call out. He says, not just peace peace to you, David, the leader, the son of Jesse, verse 18. But he also says, and peace be to thine helpers. Their hearts were not just knit to the leaders, but their, their, their hearts were knit to each other, the helpers, right? And there is, uh, I think I've heard Sam say this before, but like, the counseling ministry that the pastors have would go down by like 80% if people would just go through discipleship, <laughs> the 18 lessons of discipleship and actually live it out. Um, because so much of it has to do with relationships and stuff like that. But you know, how we care for one another is, is, is a huge way of how we serve uh, Mitch and Michelle. Um, when my kids 
like don't treat like when they're fighting and stuff like that like it hurts my heart right but it's like when they care for one another man they don't have to do chores for a week it's like no no, 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 but it's so helpful right and and so you know we're called uh to to have a knit heart um for what to to be walking in unity and we see you know that um the inverse of this would obviously be having maybe a double heart right like you're you're kind of one foot in but you know there's this other thing you're not sure about so you're just kind of like always on the fence so we're going to stop there and I'm just going to pray um, and we'll dismiss. Uh, Father, um, just thank you for these examples in the Old Testament. And Lord, we want to be faithful servants to you. And uh, we do want to be soldiers that um, fight for your kingdom and fight for the hearts and souls of men and women. And we need your spirit um, conform us into the image of Christ. I pray that you would continue to knit our hearts together. I'm so thankful um, for uh, each person and whole heart and the marvelous work that you're doing, Lord. I pray that you would establish the work of our hands. We pray for um, first-generation believers, Lord, to be added to this class, um, that you would reach into our homes, our work, our neighborhoods, God, that you would extend us, um, that you would send us out uh, in enemy-occupied territory to bring you back water that looks like sweet worship unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. <laughs> oh, I'm getting old.